0: Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! The heavyweight champion is taking the mandatory eight count and Foreman is as poised as can be.
1: Let's get it started in here.
2: So, when I bust my you break your neck. We got five minutes for us to oh, the on the So, away from tradition. Because when we be yeah. out, yeah. that. Everybody crazy. Everybody Let's get in get into
0: pass comes it's into Here's Michael at the foul line. A shot on Elo. Go!
2: Let's get it started,
3: What's up, what's up everybody? This is the Sporting Edge and I am finally back from Nashville It was another great trip Not as fun as Fort Lauderdale But, you know, the honky-tonk bar Three stories, I had a great time pretended it was my bachelor party, it was awesome. But now I'm back with my man, Roz. We got a lot of stuff to break down. NBA playoffs, NFL Draft, MLB regular season, and we got a great guest for you guys today. But Roz, first off, I wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, Thursday night, we had the first round of the NFL Draft, and as expected, Miles Garrett went number one. But after that, all bets were off. I mean, we had four quarterbacks taken. Uh, a lot of switching, a lot of trading. We only had one offensive lineman taken in the top 20. For the previous four drafts, we would had at least four offensive linemen taken. So a little more exciting on Thursday night. And, you know, I wanted to get your thoughts on the first round, E. Well,
1: I stayed up. I watched the first round, waiting for that 29th pick to come in. And the Packers traded it away to Cleveland. And me and you are going to get into the whole Cleveland thing a little bit later because we felt that although they had three picks in the first round, it really wasn't that spectacular of a draft for them. But, yes, I was disappointed with the Packers not – drafting a player there. We were hoping, or at least I was hoping, that Tredavious White, who was drafted with the 27th pick to LSU, or to the Bills from LSU, was going to be there. He got a B-plus grade for the draft position he was drafted at. We need a corner in Green Bay, and unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're going to get that in the first round. Not sure why we needed to trade out of that 29th spot. I know we're going to have the first pick in the second round, but we lost out on Reuben Foster, who went to San Francisco. TJ Watt was a little bit of a thought we might bring him to green bay but he obviously went to the steelers with the 30th pick so i'm a little crushed i'm a little hurt this is the second time the bills have taken a player ahead of the packers that caused them to make a move i didn't totally agree with last one was actually Marshawn lynch sander so interesting enough but like you said this draft was pretty wild and it was very quarterback based so i know you've got a lot to say the chicago bears trading up to get mitch Trubisky. i mean how does it feel right now to be in chicago
3: I mean, I I feel pretty indifferent. You know, I don't think we're going to win or lose, you know, our, our season next year with one pick, but I do give the Bears credit for going out and getting a guy who they think could be their franchise quarterback. I mean, you know, I know they gave up what some people say is a lot, but I think in the big scheme of things, you know, when you're looking at two third rounds and a fourth round pick, if you do happen to land that guy in a quarterback driven league where you can't win without one, then I think we'll look back and say that that was a great pick. And all the people on TV, all the Stephen A's, everybody else, all the people on, you know, CBS Sports, ESPN.com, they all have their own opinions, but they're not the professionals. They're not the ones sitting in the back office watching hundreds and hundreds of hours of film and tape to make these decisions. I mean, these guys in the front office did not just come off the banana boat, but I know not, not every decision works out. So if Mitch Trubisky ends up being a bust, I mean, yeah, I guess I'll look back and say it was a bad pick, but... Again, I'm not gonna fault the Bears for going out and making a stand and trying to become a better football team because I don't they were not gonna win with Mike Lennon. And he might start this year and Mitch Trubisky might sit out, but if he becomes the franchise quarterback down the line, we're gonna look at that. We're gonna look at this pick and this move as being one of the better moves in recent Bears history where they have not been good for the past decade. So, I mean, you know, everybody can have their own opinion, but I think the draft as a whole is overrated. I think the draft grades are overrated. It's just a way for us to get into the NFL season before we actually get going, before even training camp starts. It's just another way for people to get their opinion out there. But, you know, let's be honest one guy is not making a difference on a football team, you know, on draft day. It's during the season, you know, it's going to be in the coming years. And, you know, all these ratings, I think they're all blown out of proportion. And we'll see when the guy actually steps on the field, and probably not next year, but we'll see in the next couple years how it's going to work out. I mean, you know, I, I have similar feelings that, you know, the Texans and the Chiefs, they saw guys that they wanted on their team, and they went out and got them. Like, I'll say it again, I will say it over and over, you cannot win in this league without a quarterback unless you have the top defense. You know, we saw that with Denver. They had by far the best defense in the league, and they ran over the Panthers in that Super Bowl who had the best offense. So when I look at the Chiefs, when I look at the Bears, those teams do not have great defenses. When I look at the Texans, that is a team who has consistently failed over the past six years to get a quarterback. They've spent tons of money. They've spent a lot on Brock Osweiler. They've dealt with some backups, and, you know, TJ uh, TJ Yates, Brian Hoyer, Matt Schaub. As Stephen A. would say, but they haven't found their guy yet, and I don't. And they don't want to see this defense go to waste. A defense with J.J. Watt, who's probably the best defensive player, one healthy, in the NFL, and a guy like Jadavian Clowney, who is quickly becoming, I think, maybe the second best defensive end in the NFL. The clock is ticking because when injuries hit a defense like that, and there is no offense to back them up, you know. All bets are off, and, and you know that team is not going to win. You saw it in the playoffs; they could not get it done on the offensive side of the ball, and they got bounced. So they think Deshaun Watson might be their guy. You know what? Maybe he will be. We saw it last year. Dak, Pratt, Dak Prescott, a third rounder, came and led the Dallas Cowboys to a 13 and 3 record, and were one you know miracle play by Aaron Rodgers from going to the NFC Championship game. So you know what? If these teams want to make a move for a quarterback. I'm not going to sit there and doubt them, you know, like everybody else seems to
1: do. (laughs) That's totally fair. And to be honest, Xander, I don't disagree with you completely. I do disagree with you. And that's what makes the sporting edge what it is. I actually really like Deshaun Watson. I know I probably ripped him earlier on uh, during the sporting edge process, but I think, He's coming in. He's going to be the only starter of these three guys. So I think the expectations are going to be way higher on Deshaun Watson this first year than it will be for Trubinsky and Holmes, who we're going to see Mahomes, who we're going to see down the road. I mean, I like Watson, like I just mentioned, because I think he's back with Deshaun Hopkins. Not Desha- DeAndre Hopkins, pardon me. I'm just combining their names at this point. But I think with that tandem and maybe learning a little bit more of an NFL style from Bill O'Brien, they said that Tom Brady had to come in and learn a new system in New England. Deshaun's clearly going to have to learn a new system outside of the Clemson one he was running. So I think if he gets a pro-style offense working with him, I think that team instantly becomes better. Kind of like what you just said, their defense is so prolific and so talented. If they can stay healthy, now they have an offense that can kind of counter that and make them a team that is dangerous, actually, in the playoffs. Unlike last year where me and you were kind of laughing and put our money completely on the other side of the table. So I really like Deshaun Watson, but where we disagree is with the two trades ahead of that. I mean, you can say it for days that maybe San Francisco was going to trade with somebody else who wanted Trubinsky. It could be Kansas City even, but San Francisco really didn't have a plan to take Mitch Trubinsky, and the Bears, I think, got rid of things they didn't need to get rid of in order to move up and get that pick, and. Even on the phone, I heard apparently they were telling Trubinsky how Glennon is still going to be a starter, which you alluded to earlier in this thing. So I don't know what's going on here. I know the quarterback draft class ratings, which you don't really agree with, were lower for this draft class. They think next year is going to be amazing with Sam Darnold coming out and everything. But I didn't really like the whole move there for Trubinsky. I mean, who cares? If the Bears are bad, that just makes me happy at the end of the day for the Packers' sake. But we didn't even have a draft pick in the first round. So... I don't know about Trubinsky. The Mahomes one's gonna be interesting because he's kinda of that role that he's gonna be a backup for a little while unless Alex Smith really just craps the bed. So that one I'm gonna is more of a wait and see. Trubinski I just think is gonna be a little bit of a fluke. And I don't think it's gonna work out the way Bears fan might be hoping for or what the draft gods are hoping for. So We'll see. But that's all the time we have this segment, everybody. We've got an awesome guest, Corey Provis. The voice of the Minnesota Twins is joining us after the break. Thank you guys for following us. We're Sporting Edge at Liberty Talk. FM, And we'll see you after the break. What's up, what's up, everybody? and Roz is back here at the Sporting Edge. We are super excited to have the voice of the Minnesota Twins, Corey Provis, join the show today. He's from the Chicagoland area, graduated from Syracuse, has spent time broadcasting with the Chicago Cubs and Milwaukee Brewers, and he is now with the Minnesota Twins. Corey, thank you for joining the show today.
0: My pleasure, fellas. It's uh, it's great to be with you today.
1: Thank you. And so we wanted to open up because you were so kind to do this on the road. Right now you're in Kansas City. we got the Twins versus the Royals tonight. So we wanted to kind of figure out, you're on the road, so it's got to be a little bit of a change of pace. Kind of what's the prep when you're traveling, and what time do they allow you into the stadium? I don't know if they're like a little mean to outsiders or if they are genuinely nice to traveling teams.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, those are good questions. Uh I, I take the the staff bus. There's uh, there's there's multiple buses throughout the day if the team's on the road at a hotel, uh, depending on if if the team is going to participate in early hitting. Um, they're, they're the, so the bus time does kind of fluctuate a little bit, but generally four hours before game time is when the staff bus leaves and. You have members of the traveling party on that bus. Uh, you know the GM or assistant GM, and then the the broadcasters for the most part are on that bus. Uh, a couple players, namely the starting pitcher, probably more than anything else, will be will be likely on that on that bus. And then the clubhouse is open. This is universal throughout baseball. This doesn't matter on and you know, where you play and all that, or even when you play. But uh, the clubhouse is open three and a half hours before game time. That's that's standard. That's uh, just uh, you know part of the deal. So normally I'm not in there necessarily right away. I don't necessarily go in there at three thirty, say for a seven o'clock game. But I'm generally down there by about uh, ten to four or quarter to four, depends on if the team's on the road or not. Uh, that that time will will vary a little bit. But for home games, I interview Paul Molitor for the pregame show at four o'clock, and then. On the road, uh, for the most part, it's about four fifteen, four twenty, is when uh, is when that happens. But you know how you kind of spend your day is just uh, you, you break it out into into work, but then also you have to you have to allot some time for yourself. If that's exercise, if that's uh, talking with family, or that's you know walking around town, if that's going shopping, what have you. But uh, I just you just can't dive into baseball all day because uh, there are just too many games and. And eventually, uh, you'll, you'll like fry your brain if you just lock into baseball for hours and hours and hours at a time uh, each and every day.
3: Absolutely, yeah. So, Corey, we, we know that you work alongside Dan Gladden, who was you know a former Minnesota 20s, the two-time World Series champ. So, can you just tell us a little bit about what it's like working with a former professional baseball player? You know what you've learned through what you've learned from him um, throughout the years that you've been working with him.
0: He offers a great you know, just assessment of the game, and being uh, being a former leadoff hitter and a guy that would steal bases and a guy that played left field. So his his expertise on on route running um, is second to none. On strategy about when would be an opportune time for the team to hit and run, or if or if a guy just had a misplay, if a guy just took a bad out, or if a guy had bad technique on a bunt. You know that's thats where to me, Danny is. Uh, Danny, Danny shines for those moments. He's—he's he's tremendously prepared for every game that we do. Um, he, hes in the clubhouse. He's also on the field. He's on the field probably more than in the clubhouse because he just knows a lot of these guys—not just uh, you know the current Twins, but you know former guys he played against and with uh, throughout his career. So he interacts with players, interacts with coaches from. From all the teams throughout baseball and that, that goes into his preparation so each and every day he is he is completely prepared to do his job and to be a good team player and to have fun because that's that's what we do and especially last year when you lose 103 games you better have fun uh, <laughs> yeah. otherwise it's going to wear on you and uh, we, we we certainly do that every day
3: yeah so you know we were listening Ethan and I to your your first ever interview when you got hired by the Minnesota twins and you talked about radio. You said you you love the medium of radio. You love being descriptive. But I think my favorite part about what you said is that you like to let the game breathe. And, and I want you to expand on that a little bit, you know, what that means for the fans listening on the radio, the fans in the ballpark. Can you just give us a little insight on what you meant by that?
0: Sure. That, uh, that really came from my time in Milwaukee because it really goes against everything you're – you're pretty much taught in college where you're just kind of told dead air, dead air is bad. Dead air is a bad thing. Do not have dead air. <laughs> and it just kind of sticks with you. And it's, you, when you start broadcasting and you start doing it and you feel like, boy, I'm not talking for three seconds, you're, you're, you're kind of scrambling. You feel like, man, i got to fill this, this time with something, whether it's a stat or a story what have you. So I would do that a lot earlier in my career, but then not long after I started in Milwaukee in 2009, Bob noticed that. Bob said, hey, take a step back and let the game breathe. Let let the fans, wherever they're listening, hear the sounds of the game, whether it's the crack of the bat or vendors hawking programs or hot dogs or just the PA announcer and music in the back, whatever. We just imagine somebody that can't be there who's doing work around the house and cleaning out their garage or painting their house, but they're on a nice summer day. They love what they're doing, but, man, it'd be great to be at the ballpark too. Let them hear some of that. Don't just fill it with with stats and with the redundant play-by-play over and over again. You can take a step back and, and just let let the game of baseball kind of be its own story without you having to fill – every possible moment.
1: Absolutely. And you brought up how you worked with the Brewers. And I'd mentioned earlier, you've been with the Cubs. So interesting enough, I also looked into another interview where you mentioned the first team you kind of grasped onto was that 1984 Chicago Cubs team. In the interview, you said you could name all the infielders of that team. So we kind of got a little trivia for you. 2012 was your first official year with the Twins, right? You took over after the 2011 season? Yeah. Awesome. So just because we're coming close to the end here of the first segment, we got a quick question. Could you name the starting infield for that 2012 Minnesota Twins team? And we have the we have the record here.
0: Okay, uh, let's see. Mauer was catching in 2012, so that wouldn't have been. Uh, so I would say Mauer was catching. Yep. Uh, Justin Morneau was at first base. I want to say Alexi Casilla would have been the second baseman. Jamie Carroll was the opening day shortstop in 2012 and Trevor Ploof didn't know Danny Valencia Danny Valencia was the third baseman so Valencia Carroll Casilla Morneau Maurer is that right?
1: Wow so you had everybody right Morneau did start that day at the DH position so we're gonna give we're gonna give you a second Uh, opportunity here for the first baseman (laughs)
0: that's a good call so he did not play first interesting yeah the first baseman then in 2012 was not Morno, and it wasn't Maurer. Who would that have been? That uh, was not Trevor Plouffe. It was not Luke Hughes. It wouldn't have been. Oh, I uh, I could be here all day. All right, give it to me. I don't uh, know who that was.
1: It was Chris Parmalee. Par- Parmalee, Yeah, there we Chris go. Chris Par-
0: Okay, I, I would not have guessed that. Chris Parmalee, 2012. Yeah, okay. We're gonna I ju- would <laughs> not have guessed that, he was the opening day for his baseman.
1: Yeah, we're just going uh, to go with more that, That's that
0: question. Good
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I just feel somebody should keep you on your toes. I know you're busy and working all the time, but always good to bring back a little bit of uh, history. I mean, that was your first season. It had to be super exciting. And as I mentioned we're coming close to the end of the segment, but I got to ask. So, you got you obviously favor the Twins right now in the AL, but do you kind of root on the side a little bit for the Chicago Cubs, or is that you long gone? Is it you no more favoritism? Oh, no, I, I do. I, I don't have the, the same connection.
0: Like I would say, two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Uh, I was still, you know, I was working for the Brewers, and the Brewers and Cubs played, you know, nineteen times a year. Uh, but there were still parts of me that would be like, man, because I, I knew I knew those guys. I was just removed from it, mm-hmm. and I still knew many of the players, and I still knew many of the people in the front office. Now, you know, the whole front office is different. Uh, you know, I was there long before Theo Epstein and, and Jed Hoyer and Jason McLeod and all that group. Uh, but, you know, Ryan Dempster was pitching, Kerry Wood was pitching, I mean, that that 2007-2018, uh, Terrio and DeRosa and Fano and Sorry, I mean, None of those guys are around. Zambrano. None of those guys are around anymore. Uh, so I, 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 it was it was tougher earlier than it is now. I, I still follow them, and you, you can bet when the Twins were knocked out last year and the Cubs in the postseason, I was I was locked in. I mean, I was fan. <laughs> I was I was certainly cheering really hard for them.
1: Heck yeah. And that's uh, that's how me and Xander, I think, felt about the whole thing as well. So that's the end of the time we have here for this segment, Sporting Edge listeners. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You know where to find us at the Sporting Edge at LibertyTalk.fm. We'll be back after the break, everybody, with more conversation with Corey. Thank you.
2: What's up, everybody? Bubba here. It's finally here. The long-awaited Bubba Report At Bubba, at Bubba we want you to have this report because we've got over 150 years of experience talking about markets, getting ready for the trading, and puts you in the best position to have successful. So email me at Bubba, at the Bubba to get a copy of your report or go right to the website, TheBubbaShot.org. Make sure you get it. It's a must-have for every investor and trader. The Bubba Report.
1: What's up, what's up? We are back here at the Sporting Edge. You know who this is, Wits and Roz, and we are graced to be joined by Corey Provis right now. So, Corey, me and and Wits on the show, we argue a lot in terms of... Disagreements about teams, disagreements about players. I'm a huge Bryce Harper guy right now. I know I mentioned I'm a big Cubs fan, so I love Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and all of them. But Bryce Harper really to me is that just unbelievable athlete. I know he had a down year last year, but this year already batting over 400. So that leads me to like to the question I want to ask you. You've been around the league a long time. From the Cubs, Brewers to the Twins, and I was curious. Ever in that time, has there been a player outside of maybe the Barry Bonds or the Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez that really caught your eye? And you know, every time you go see them play, that's going to be an exciting day.
0: Oh, certainly. I mean, I you know, I, I, do, I just don't use you know metrics to, to judge. I just look at a guy who may not you know at that, that moment you know lead the the league in OPS or even be in the top five, but just for maybe a small four day window that player looked to me like the best player on the, on the planet. And I've had that feeling about Josh Donaldson uh, before watching him play. Uh, Manny Machado watching him play, certainly, and Mike Trout. And I don't see Mike Trout a lot uh, just because of the uh, the division that they're in. So, I, so I, I, I'm a bit biased because of who you see most often. So right. watching Miguel Cabrera hit the last you know, six years, uh, 19 times, 20 times a year, whatever it's been. That, that, to me, is always just awesome to watch. I just love watching him him compete and him play and how difficult of an out he is time and time again. Even when he's not running well, even when he's he's battling some injury, he's going to be out there, and he's still going to rake, and he's still going to hit for power. So, I, you know, Victor Martinez, when he was going, he was a f- finalist in the MVP maybe two or three years ago, where he had, at one point, I think, uh, I think he had – more home runs than strikeouts uh, pretty late in the year I think he finished with more strikeouts than home runs. but this was before he signed this lengthy extension. Uh, that that to me was an awesome season that he had. so I, I, I do kind of favor the American League because I just I see it more and uh, there are, there have been no doubt some individual performances.
1: That, uh, that
3: certainly catch my eye. Yeah and just you, go ahead. I, say. you know, I, I agree with Miguel Cabrera he is I think been my favorite player since I started seriously watching baseball. Um, just the stories I've heard about batting practice you know being able to put a home run at, at literally every point in the park that he wants. but you know we're talking about great players. I also wanted to you know touch on some great broadcasters When you came to the twins you were replacing a legend in John Gordon. Who was a you know 24 year announcer for the Twins? He trademarked the phrase you know touch them all. Um, you know a lot of great clips of him. How was it? What was it like for you to replace a guy like that? I mean, did you feel any pressure? Um, you know, were you looking forward to the experience with Twins?
0: No, I mean, I, I certainly was looking forward to it because I just you go to Target Field and you experience that special place, and that that just pulls you in from the get go. Uh, that to me was a big selling point. I just love outdoor baseball. And don't get me wrong, there were many days when I was in Milwaukee where that, where that roof would come in handy. Uh, but <laughs> even on a, on a lovely day, like on a lovely summer day when the roof was open at Miller Park, it still felt like you were inside. Uh, that was the one thing that, that I didn't like. Uh, about just the way that that ballpark was designed, but I still found it incredibly appealing. But then you come to Target Field, and it's just like, man, this 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 place is—I get it, I get the buzz, and it's so special. And then, you know, I knew John a little bit. I didn't—I didn't know John awfully, awfully well before. Uh, before I got the Brewers job, because the Brewers and Twins would play every year. That's the that's the natural interleague rival. Mm-hmm. Then I got to know him a little bit, and just a just a classy, classy guy. And I, I didn't know much about his broadcast career outside of being you know, on the game, you know, game, you know, in '87 and the, the Kirby Puckett and and you know Danny Gladden, and then. Obviously, uh, The Last Call in 91 and, and all that, I, I just never really heard much of John Gordon outside of when he played Wally Holland in the movie, right? Uh, that was, right, that was right. where I knew John Gordon. Uh, but then I did get to know him a bit more throughout the process, and just uh, a guy that, that brought class and excellence to to the business, to the booth, to Twins territory for more than 20 years. And there haven't been many... Daily Twins announcers in since the franchise moved in the early '60s from from Washington D.C. and if you're in that if you're in that group with uh, with John Gordon and Herb Carneal and Halsey Hall and Danny Gladden, who's been in this booth now for pushing on two decades, uh, it's part of a very special and small fraternity that I'm that I'm honored just to be a small part of.
1: Absolutely, and I think that's well said. Completely, and along going along with the. Style and reporting and everything. You also worked with Ron Santo and Bob Euker, who are absolutely exceptional as well. Is there anything you took away from them moving over to, or when you took the twins job that you kind of used a little bit of their style, or are you just kind of your own guy?
0: No, I absolutely take things from them, and they're Hall of Famers for for a reason. And I, I know Ronnie went in as a player, but you uh, as a broadcaster. That I was, I, I just was probably so uptight. Uh, the way that I approach broadcasting, and you know that 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 dude that they make fun of on the Simpsons. What's his name? The newsman, Kent Brockman.
1: Yes, right? yes. Got that, <laughs>
0: yeah. vo- that fake voice, and you know, you just are locked into what a stereotypical announcer should be, and you're you're, you're more or less molding your career off that than then than you. Than probably anywhere else is not just him, but that style that you just have to be so serious all the time and 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 I was stiff. And then you work with Ron and also Pat. Pat Hughes was like this as well. That they have a sense of levity that I just never imagined one would have when you're announcing Major League Baseball because it's such a big business and such a people are so passionate about it uh, that I just I never really considered that that uh, you you'd have this sense of self-deprecating humor and, and just you can take yourself you don't have to take yourself so seriously all the time and Ronnie was a pioneer in that and Bob Euchre is a champion of that I mean nobody nobody makes fun of himself more than Bob Euchre and if you, if you can't laugh at yourself I forget the business of baseball and broadcast but I think it's society if you can't laugh at yourself, I, I feel sorry for you because that—that that is a—that is a trait that we all need to have. We all don't have to be so serious. There are serious matters in the world, but but baseball, broadcasting baseball, there's 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 a time and place that you have to you know tell the truth and and do uh, give an honest report and an honest description of what's happening. But at the same time, it's baseball. Uh, I, I work in the toy department. I'm not solving. Uh, you know, national crises every day. I'm not working on solving uh, the Middle East peace, you know, crisis here. I'm just broadcasting a baseball game, and I look at it as people have rough days, you know, with with whatever's going on in their lives. It's it's family, it's financial, what have you, that they need a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour escape, and that's my job, is to be that escape, to have fun and I, there are three elements that we try to nail every day and that's inform educate and entertain and if, if we can hit all three day in and day out regardless how the team that I'm working for or following is doing then I, then I feel awfully proud at night
1: absolutely and going along those lines of the whole entertainment side now we bring it to the back to the baseball field because like you said there's nothing better than a very entertaining broadcaster so I got to ask you about the Minnesota Twins currently and where they've been recently. Because growing up, they weren't—they didn't have bad teams. They had playoff-contending teams. They're very good. Like you said, last year though, they lost a hundred, and currently they sit at ten and eleven. Is there anything you can say in terms of are they growing right now, or are they kind of in a standstill area? What do you see for the foreseeable future for the Twins? Well, I
0: mean, I see baby steps. Uh, they, you know, in two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen, a lot was being sold on, on on the minor league system, and at that time, the Twins had if not number one, number two, then maybe highest number three farm system, viewed by many, not just me or internally, but MLB.com and Baseball America and Baseball Perspectives, there was a big group that loved the Twins' farm system because of high draft picks and maybe because of certain seasons that that guys had. Now, as we sit here today, have all those prospects panned out? Not a chance. Uh, Miguel though, with the start that he's had, and the series he's coming off of, he is looking like a guy that, that, that could be the real deal. He's only 23 years old. Byron Buxton's a stud defensively. We all know that. It's been a nightmare start offensively, but did have his best series of the season in Texas. And he's too talented. He's too humble uh, to give up on him. No chance. And then Jose Barrios was another guy that uh, that, that people love and I think will still will love. And I just think he struggled his first go-around. Not uncommon. Last year, he'll be up. We'll see him at some point And and he'll be he will be have to be be a difference maker, because to me, if the twins are going to stay around where they're at and be around a 500 team, I think the offense will take care of itself. It's about the starting staff and with what Irvin Santana did in the month of April, becoming the third twin because uh, Walter Johnson did this twice when the Twins were, were then the Washington Senators. But Irvin Santana, the third Twin ever, to begin a season at least four starts and finish the month of April with a sub-1 ERA, uh, just a remarkable start. And if they could just get enough starting pitching, because that's been their detriment, that's what's held them back. There have been some years since I've gotten the job where the offense was, was okay, it wasn't great, they still weren't you know breaking doors down with OPS and runs scored. But they just couldn't pitch, and that—that that to me is what's held them back. And if they could just get some improvement with their starting staff and get quality starts, and I'm not a big believer in in, uh, in advertising that or bragging about that individually. But if you do get a starter that goes six innings and gives up three runs, you're in the game.
3: That's absolutely right, Corey. We want to thank you for joining the show, and we will be back after the break with more talk about the MLB and the NBA playoffs.
1: What's up, what's up, everybody? This is Wits and Roz. We're back here after the break. I just want to say thank you so much again to Corey for coming on the show and giving us all that insight about the MLB and what it's like to be in the broadcast booth. Xander, you were in Nashville last week, and we already addressed that. And you gave me too much time to gloat and be a superstar and picture myself in the class of Bryce Harper and LeBron James. But I am falling off my high horse. The Chicago Bulls now trail... 3-2 3-2 in the series, dropping three straight games. They looked absolutely pitiful in Chicago. And I don't know how much this Rondo injury really contributes to what's going on here, but I, I, I'm losing. I, losing. I can't tell you I'm having a winning NBA uh, postseason at this point. I mean, my Bucks just lost the other night, and they're out of
3: the playoffs. So, And you know who else got rolled? The Thunder. The Rockets came out and took care of business. 0-3 is what I am. Well, but yeah, I, I want to talk about this Bulls game because it, it was it was dreadful. I mean, the Bulls, um, you know, without Rondo, it's kind of hard to say, you know, how this series would have turned if he stayed in the court. Because maybe the Bulls are just being the Bulls. I mean, they've been inconsistent all year. It's not like they just snuck into the playoffs as the eight seed because they were a great team. So you know, it's kind of hard to say what's going on. But this game, this game five was so winnable for them, but they didn't pound the ball inside. You know, they didn't rebound. There were so many plays where, you know, Boston got just the easiest second-chance points, and they still can't guard Isaiah Thomas. I hope they figure it out. Because as we're sitting here on Friday afternoon, big game six, the Bulls are a three-point dog at home, and I think they're going to take it tonight. I think Jimmy Butler steps up. I think there's obviously something wrong with him because he did not come out to play in game five. You know what? I get that he's probably injured, and we'll probably find out after the series that there was something seriously wrong with him. But I think the Bulls take the game. As um, a three-point dog, but I do think they lose to the Celtics at home in Game Seven. I think the Celtics team is just a little bit better, and I think it's going to be close. But you know, the Bulls—they've been you know so inconsistent all year, and they had that two-zero lead. They really had a chance to you know lock it down in Game Five. They just didn't do it, and it wasn't that the Celtics played well. It was just the Bulls played so bad, and. I think they're going to eventually lose this series, but they are going to take it to seven. That's my prediction.
1: Yeah, and that's really interesting that you bring that up because just the other day was told, and my condolences, and I'm assuming yours as well, goes out to Isaiah Thomas and his family. Obviously, he lost his sister recently. Mm-hmm. But the reports are is he's leaving after game six to go to the funeral service and everything. So if this is forced to a game seven, we're hearing that it's doubtful that Isaiah Thomas would play. I mean, unless he's planning to score 80 points this coming game and really just put the Bulls out of commission. It'll be interesting. I don't
3: think he needs 80 points. I think probably 30 or 35 would do. Um, But Isaiah Thomas is such a dynamic player on the offensive end. I think Boston has done a great job of kind of hiding him on the defensive end. I mean, we all know that, you know, defense, he's definitely not an all-star defender, but offense is really where he shines. That pick and roll game, he's so quick off the dribble. Um, You know, it's tough for the Bulls to stop him. They haven't done it all series. But Roz, let's look at some other games. Friday afternoon, we've got Wizards-Hawks. Hawks Hawks are down um, to their last game, and I think this is it for them. I think the Wizards take it in Game 6. I think they're a better team. I think John Wall and Bradley Beal will move on to the next round against what I think will be the Celtics, but what are your thoughts on that game?
1: Yeah, I mean, I need the Wizards here. I picked them to win this series. I mean, what's been interesting about this whole thing, though, because I have been watching this series, this Atlanta team just should be the best team outside of the Cavs. I mean, have you seen there what's going on down low? They've got Howard and Millsap. I saw Millsap make one of the most ridiculous. Is
3: so overrated.
1: He's overrated, but he's really a piece. And I think if they keep building on this team, I mean, Millsap is a freak. Like I was about to say, he made one of the most incredible and one shots of all time. And that doesn't make your team a superstar team, but they're athletic. They're very good. I think the thing that's bothering them is their backcourt which is John Wall like going up against Dennis Schro- Schroeder and really just taking the like hole every single time. I think that John Wall's too quick. I think Bradley Beal, who's been going off in the series, is too good. And I think they're going to pull through with this, but they really do pose a challenge to the Celtics or the Bulls, whoever faces them next uh, in the second round. I think this team is very quick. And in fact, Xander, I've said it over and over again, this Wizards team is the team I have going to the Eastern Conference Finals, taking on the Cavs, obviously. So I'm very excited. I think they're going to put it away, like you said, tonight. But we have, to, we have to address some losers right now. Just so we can put it out there, I know I told you I was 0-3 already, but I'm a little heartbroken Westbrook went out the way he did, especially because of how dominant he was on the court, Xander. There's nothing else you can do at his position. His team is just brutal. So I'm going to get over that, but I still think he should be MVP, and I think the stats really showed throughout the rest of the series. But I'm heartbroken. I, just, I disagree. I know I you disagree. Hard,
3: and I think that showed in the series.
1: That's totally fair, but... I'm at, And so, less heartbroken about that. I'm heartbroken about the Milwaukee Bucks. They went up early in the series, and they just could not pull together. Losing two nights ago, or last night actually, in a, an exciting game, down 25 points at one point. And they came all the way back in the fourth quarter, only to lose by three at the end of the game. And it's heartbreaking. I love that Milwaukee team. I know they're probably rivals of the Bulls, but I just love Giannis Antetokounmpo. I love Chris Middleton. I love Thon Maker. I think the fact that he's starting already is such a tremendous sign for this team going forward, and then obviously they'll get Jabari back in the future. This team's on the rise. Jason Kidd looked like a true professional, not pulling that whole throw-the-water-on-the-cup game anymore. So I think this Bucks team is something to pay attention to if they can sign everybody, which they already did with Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think this Bucks team is going to solidify themselves as maybe a top-four team in the East, which you could say doesn't mean very much, but definitely. A contender in the East in the near future.
3: Yeah, you know I like Giannis a lot. I think you know in this league you need. I don't want to say superstar. I'm not going to say top five player. I think you need a top ten player to win, and I think Giannis is is that guy. I mean he's he's gotten so much better the past few years, and I think he is a guy with pieces around him that can take this Milwaukee Bucks team to new heights. I mean it's always going to be tough with LeBron in the East, but you know what? I think this Bucks team, like you said, is here to stay. They got beat by Toronto in the first round, but I'm not worried about it. I think that in the near future, they will be a team that will contend along with Boston and along with the Wizards. But Roz, I think the most interesting series that is already set up for the second round is my champion the San Antonio Spurs versus James Harden and the Houston Rockets. And I got to stick with them, the Spurs, but the Rockets do scare me a little bit just because of how prolific they are in the offensive end. But As you know and I know, defense wins championships. I think Kawhi Leonard is going to come out to play in this
1: series. Wait, I? so it's time for me to give you that stat. I'm very excited. I get super pumped. I'm hearing you talk about this Rockets and Spurs. Here's my stat, Xander. I always have to come with one of them. Since 1995, the Spurs have faced the Rockets in the playoffs three times. Can you tell me what their record is?
3: I'll say one and two. Is that right?
1: You're pretty close, all right? So they're 0-3 in series against the Houston Rockets since 1995. So that's all of Greg Popovich's era. Now, to be fair, I think this Spurs team is, like you said, defensively the best they've had in a long, long time. And I think from watching that Houston and Thunder series – yeah, you got to give Houston credit for looking very talented and very skilled out there, but they didn't play a team that had a bunch of players that were able to compete and keep up. I mean, it was West—it was basically one-on-five with Westbrook versus the Rockets. So I really—I'm gonna go with you here. I did pick the Spurs, so I think the Spurs are gonna win this series against the Rocket and that O for streak, I guess, since 1995 against them. And unlike you, because I know you have them in their finals, I think they're gonna eventually lose to Golden State, who looks unbelievable. I don't know if you saw their clinching game against the Portland Trailblazers, but oh my lord, they went on a 25-3 to run. Steph Curry was fantastic that evening, scoring over 30 points, and Kevin Durant only needed to play 10 minutes of that game. So again, it begs the question, how valuable is Kevin Durant going to beat this team down the line? Because it doesn't really seem like they've been playing a whole lot together the entire year. Is it going to hurt them, Xander, or is it not going to? And I know you think the Spurs are going to be able to beat them down the line, but if Kevin Durant comes back as that all-star... I think the Spurs are in some serious trouble.
3: Well, I mean, they definitely are. You know, the Warriors, Kevin Durant, I think personally, I think is the best player in the league when healthy. I know he's not the MVP of the league this year, but I think everything aside, I think Kevin Durant is the best player in the world. Um, But I, I just like the Spurs team. I like the way they mash up with teams, and obviously Kawhi Leonard, who I think is probably the best two you know, he is the two the best two way player in the league. I'll say probably the best defender, but I think San Antonio is gonna get by Houston in six. And obviously I think Golden State is gonna beat whoever comes out of that Clippers Jazz matchup and it'll be a dogfight. I'm gonna say they're gonna take it to seven games in the conference finals.
1: Hey, you know me, I love basketball and wouldn't mind seeing seven games between those two fantastic teams. That's all the time we have this week, everybody. Thank you for tuning in and listening to us. Be sure to check us out on Facebook. Throw us a review. Hopefully it's five stars. Definitely toss us a like, but you know where to find us. you got Facebook. you got got LibertyTalk.fm. This is the Sporting Edge with and Roz. We'll be back next week with another surprise guest, so stay tuned, everybody.
0: revolutionary talk for revolutionary times Liberty Talk event.